Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Danny, and I'm one of the elders of Inspired Churches. In behalf of uh, Pastor Phil, Pastor Roger, Pastor Andy, and Sister Kat, and the rest of the Inspired team, welcome, welcome to our guests and our regular attenders. Uh, you are a blessing to us, and we hope that we are a blessing to you as well. Well, today we are having communion and so every first Sunday of the month we commemorate the Lord's Supper and I hope that today's message will prepare our hearts and minds for communion later on. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we are, every person, every heart, every mind, every emotion, every circumstance in life and you already know each one's needs even each one's baggage each one's motives each one's beliefs my prayer is that you will illuminate your word today so that we can look into your holiness and gaze upon your loveliness forgive us restore us refresh us and empower us to trust, to obey, and to love you with all our hearts, mind, and strength, and to love others, to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in this series we themed Summer in the Psalms, and I hope you're taking this opportunity to immerse yourselves in the Psalms, reading the Psalms, learning to pray the psalms and engaging your emotions with the psalms and bringing your concerns and issues to God as what the psalmists do because this is the goal to immerse ourselves in the word of God particularly in the psalms and learn to commune with God with our minds with our lips and with our emotions today we're going to look at Psalm 51 um, I'm going to say a word, and when you hear this word, I want you to notice how you felt inside when you hear this word. And I will pause for a few seconds after I say this word. And the word is repent. It means to be sorry for to regret, to feel remorse for, repent. What's going on inside? What emotions come to the surface? Some of you perhaps feel a seriousness there in, inside, in the heart, just by hearing the word repent. Some of you may feel uneasy or fearful or intimidated, perhaps a sense of guilt. And some of you may not feel anything at all, but you don't feel glad either. Unlike when I say the word relief or forgiveness, your emotions slowly change. There's a pleasant feeling, you see, sort of a lightness or comfort. But repent, we become serious. A and if we are really honest with ourselves, we don't want to approach that word. But I want to be. Com I I want to have comfort. I want to have peace. I want to have I I want to be whole again. I want to be free from stress, from pain, from suffering. So so Psalm 51 is that sort of emotional tension that King David writes. If you were here last Sunday, what a beautiful message Cat gave us last Sunday. Happiness in forgiveness, which was based on Psalm 
uh, 32 by King David as well. If you have not listened to that message, please, please watch it in our YouTube channel or, or listen it in our podcast. You know, as Kat mentioned, Psalm 32 was written as a result of forgiveness. There's blessing for those who are forgiven. There's happiness as a result of confession. There's restored fellowship. There's deliverance. There's renewed and preserved freshness, strength, and power to stand up again and dance and live. Well, in today's psalm, Psalm 51, we will dive deeper and and look back on the why was David so glad? Why is, is God's forgiveness a life-saving, life-changing experience for him? What was so dramatic in his life? What did he do? What is the sin that is such a big deal? And who is this God that is so offended that David, King David of all people, succumbed to the point of begging for forgiveness. Can, can this God, this God who considers David uh, as the man after his own heart, can he not just let David go, you know? let Just let it pass? Well, Psalm 51 gets into some detail as to the why was David so happy in Psalm 32. But before we read Psalm 51, just a heads up, I won't be able to expound everything like line by line for the sake of time. I'll, I'll try my best to deliver the highlights of, of Psalm 51, okay? So, so let me give you uh, a background of uh, David's Psalm 51. The historical background is found in Second Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. So, King David was in his residence in Jerusalem while his armies were battling the Ammonites somewhere else. So, uh, King David was in his residence and he sees Bathsheba taking a shower on the rooftop. Man, um, she is the wife of one of David's military generals. And so King David sends for her, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then conspires to have her husband, General Uriah, to be sent to the front line and eventually be killed in battle. Now, regarding David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, there's an important cultural background that we in the West may not understand. Now, during that era where you have good kings and evil kings, but just like any king during those monarchy times, King David had absolute authority. And kings could do whatever they wanted. As king, David was exempt from punishment or from the consequences of his action, you see. Except, of course, for the ever-watching God. So, Bathsheba, or her husband, General Uriah, would have no voice or rights in this matter. But the prophet Nathan confronts David, tells him his sin, and the consequences of that sin to him, to his family, and to the nation of Israel. So when you read that section in 2 Samuel 12, the accusations of God to King David through the prophet Nathan, the only response that came out of David's lips were the words, I have sinned against the Lord. Those are the only words that David said in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I have sinned against the Lord. So, in Psalm 51, David writes the whole or the rest of his confession of sin and his plea for forgiveness. Get it? Okay, so, so there was adultery, there was murder, there was an integrity issue with the highest official of the land. 
So with that background, let's let's read our psalm today, Psalm 51. And if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps open, and, and it, it's going to be on the screen for you as well. So please allow me to read from the New International Version, Psalm 51, from the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Scripture reads like this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired, you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are, my, who are God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of the righteousness. Open my lips, Lord and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in birth offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I have entitled today's sermon on Psalm 51, Restoration Requires Repentance. Restoration Requires Repentance. And I would like to share with you three truths that we all need to understand in this psalm. The first truth is repentance is based on God's unfailing love. The second truth is repentance is uncomfortable. And the third truth is repentance restores, renews, and inspires. So re the, the, the first truth, repentance is based on God's love. In the first verse, David cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Folks, if there is one truth that I want you to take home today, it's the understanding of the unfailing love of God. It's the understanding of the unfailing love of God. See, this is a life changer. The why you approach God or the why not you do not approach God uh, will, will critically depend on what you believe about who God is and what this unfailing love means. This is the covenant love of God. It is the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. 
Now, the agreement, the covenant between God and the Israelites states that He will be their God and they will be His people. It is a marriage covenant, you see. It is the I do vow of God, the I promise of God. When His people break the covenant, God doesn't. And we break our covenant with God a lot of times, don't we? But He doesn't. When His people serve other gods, God doesn't fail to serve His people. When His people sin against Him, He pursues them at all costs, even to the point of disciplining them, as discipline is love, but never leaving them never forsaking them. And when His people come back to Him, He doesn't push them away because He is faithful to His covenant even when His people are not. And David knows this God. David knows his God, you see. Even though he committed a a, a serious, a heinous crime, a horrible sin, adultery, and murder against His faithful God, He knows that forgiveness is available based on God's unfailing covenant love. And because of this covenant love, God cannot not have mercy. God cannot not have compassion. It is impossible to remove mercy and compassion from Him. Otherwise, He would not be God. I hope th there is some illumination happening in the heart and in the mind. Now, now you understand why the Bible talks about His mercies are new every morning. Why great is His compassion. Because that's who He is. His unfailing love is based on His faithful character. And He isn't fickle. You know, He, he does not base His love for you on wavering uh, emotions. That's, with, with that solid, stable, foundational understanding of who God is, David now approaches God and pleads. Verse 2, Wash away all my iniquity, my perversion, my, my immorality, and cleanse me from my sin, my offense against you, God, not my offense against Bathsheba, not my offense against Uriah, not against the nation Israel, but against you, God. For I know my transgressions, my rebellion, my, my revolt, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. You see, folks, this is not a light approach like an like a casual ask because yeah god uh god is love and uh yeah god is forgiving so i think he'll understand and he is that he is loving he is forgiving but this approach this is a confident at the same time reverent approach exposing our faults being honest admitting laying it bare disclosing those dark secrets to god revealing to god what he already knows really he already knows god already knows so if god already knows then what's the point well he does want to hear your heart. Moreover, He wants you to hear your heart yourself. Because many times, we don't know our hearts. 
because we think too highly of ourselves. We don't truly believe how deep our sin and brokenness is. You know, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be rude. I don't know, I'm usually not like that. You know, we think too highly of ourselves. And then we think that we have the power to change ourselves. We think that if we try harder next time, we'll be able to fix the problem. Well, perhaps God wants you to hear your heart yourself. Here's another problem. Because we think too highly of ourselves, we respond to other people's sin with harshness and disapproval. We're very lenient towards our own sin, but we resent other people's sin. And because we think we can change ourselves, we become frustrated when other people aren't changing themselves fast enough. And so we become judgmental, we become impatient, and we become critical. Perhaps God wants you to hear your heart yourself so you can be vulnerable and honest. And like David, he says, you are right, God. You're a fair judge. You know all the facts behind my case. Your verdict is just and I have no defense. You see, human judges, they don't know all the facts. But God knows everything. He knows all the facts in secret and those that are exposed. He knows everything. That's why He's a fair judge when He judges. Now, while all of these convicting thoughts and feelings are going on, David hangs on to his God's unfailing covenant love and and also david you know he doesn't blame god like adam who blamed god for giving him his wife who in turn blamed the serpent for giving her the truth you know sometimes we we blame the devil for everything we do don't we like Sorry, officer, it's the devil who made me do it. And then the officer peeks inside the car. Is that your husband? Just saying, officer. <laughs> and we blame others. We, we blame our spouse. We blame our children. We blame our parents. We blame the traffic. We blame the government. We blame the food. You see, when you trip, for example, when you trip over something, what do you do? You look behind and you blame that stupid rock, right? Or that hump on the road. I, I blame this pulpit for my allergies. <laughs> but but, but, but we, we blame others. We blame anyone. We blame anything and everything except ourselves but not David you see he acknowledged that his sin is because of his fallen sinful disposition since his conception verse 5 surely I was sinful at birth sinful from the time my mother conceived me he was saying I have the tendency to sin and I gave in to my tendencies, my flesh, my sinful desires. God, I messed up. I messed up. All these confessions, these words and feelings of sorrow, this, this remorse and regret for having done wrong are clearly low-spirited expressions of David's repentance. I ask, when we have done wrong, when we know we sinned, 
a good self-examining question to ask ourselves. Am I sorrowful? Do I feel remorse or regret over my sin? I hope we do. I hope we do. And so not minimize sin and not minimize God. But cling on, but hang on to God whose love is unfailing. To the God of great compassion you hang on. To the merciful God you hang on. The God who always and will always keep His covenant love. And so repentance is based on God's unfailing love. With David clinging on to God's unfailing love, he then prays to be cleansed. And this will not be a pleasant experience. So second truth, repentance is uncomfortable. David prayed, verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed hide, uh, rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a, a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my God, who are God of my Savior, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Now, hyssop is, is that leafy, uh, that picture is that leafy plant used by the, the priest, priests to sprinkle blood or water on a person being ceremonially cleansed from, from immorality. David is saying, sprinkle me with blood or with water so I can be clean. Better yet, God, wash me so not only will I be clean, I'll be white and even whiter than snow. I don't know, is, is, is there anything whiter than snow? I don't know. Let me ask you something. If you neglect, for example, if you neglect, to clean your car, someone will write on your windshield, wash me, those words, wash me. H have you seen those writings on dusty, dirty vehicles? <laughs> no, that's that, I didn't write that. Do you know what I'm talking about? It, so, so, so neglecting to wash your car has dire consequences got to clean, got to wash your car. Now talking about washing, let me say, let, let me tell you about David. David is a shepherd. So being a shepherd, he knows that sheep cannot wash themselves. If they go unwashed, the musky odor of their oily sweat and wool becomes stronger. And the stronger the odor, the more enticing to the wolves. That is why shepherds, they guide their herd to intentionally cross rivers and creeks so they can be washed. And sheep, no, they don't like water. They don't like water. It's not a comfortable experience for them. So, so sometimes shepherds, they have to force the herd or the sheep uh, to, to go to the water. And if they, 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 they don't, they sometimes they hurl them into the water. Now this is not an easy task for the shepherd because he needs to make sure they're washed thoroughly, and at the same time, they need to make sure that they that this sheep they don't drown or get swept away by the waters. 
It's a difficult task. But it's a free wash for the sheep at the expense of the shepherd. And repentance is like that. If we're not washed clean, we'll be attracting attacks. Our minds will be open to suggestions and deceptions. What is now, what is wrong according to the Bible is now right according to society, according to media, according to yourself even. We now get to decide what is right or what is wrong, not based on what God says. So people are deceived because they don't know the word. They haven't read the word. They haven't heard the word. Or they don't like what it says, you see. Notice too that David, in, in, in what we have read, David apparently lost his hearing. The ears of his soul could not hear. What he used to enjoy and hear was not there. The joy and gladness in his soul because the bones of his soul had collapsed under guilt. The uncomfortable emotion of shame and guilt was too much, you see, that he repents. God, please, don't look at it. Just blot it out. It's just too ugly. Even I am disgusted with it. Just clean it out. Remove the stains. It's not a comfortable experience when you know God sees everything. It's like He has a camera in every corner of the city, in every part of your home, in the bedroom, in the bathroom. It's, it's a sobering thought experience that God knows and sees everything. And the joy of his salvation is lost. Not the gift of his salvation, but the joy of his salvation. He could not enjoy the gift. He could not even open his lips to sing and praise and thank God for it. His spirit is unwilling because it is shackled by sin. It's not free to worship and give thanks. It's embarrassing to be honest about that. But David repents in pain and discomfort, clinging to, trusting in the unfailing covenant love of God. He prays, cleanse me, wash me, wipe out the stains of my sin. Let me hear my soul sing again. Restore me. Liberate me to be willing to obey you. Please, God, restore me. You know, last month, Ophel and I had the uh, opportunity to uh, attend a funeral service of a dear friend uh, of ours from a previous church. I, I did not expect to see a couple there uh, and uh, John and Mary, not their real name. Uh, this couple are dear friends of ours. We served together for many years. Unfortunately, our friendship did not last. We had a falling out. Um, and, and, and it was a difficult time. Even the church suffered. Um, I remember praying that God would relieve me of this misery of a broken relationship because it was, it, it was not a comfortable experience. I remember praying a few times for an opportunity for us to be reconciled because it is haunting. I guess it's especially for me as I serve as an elder here at Inspire. <clears throat> I mean, how can I talk about 
repentance, forgiveness, kindness, love, mercy, and grace with a soul that I know I have offended someone. But I understood the unfailing covenant love of God. I really do. It was during these times when I was learning more and more about, uh, you know, gospel centeredness here at Inspire. I, I just want to acknowledge uh, the Gospel Connect work group uh, who brainstormed and developed the curriculum. John Michaels, uh, Froyland, Gerald, Phil, uh, Patrick, uh, you guys, um, thank you. Thank you so much for for uh, developing that uh, curriculum and, and I, I think we're gonna have another gospel connect uh, for everyone that opportunity for everyone this this fall uh, so stay tuned well after eight years last month God allowed us to cross paths again with uh, John and Mary I said like like seriously, Lord, in a in a funeral service, and I can sense the spirit quietly, distinctly, saying apologize. And so my lips were dry, my voice quivering. I said, John, Mary, can can we talk outside for a moment? And we got and when we got to this quiet place, I said, I know I I. We, we, we parted ways without really hearing and understanding each other. And I'm sad that this happened. I'm, I'm sincerely sorry. I should have reached out to you both a long time ago, and, I, and but I didn't. And I hurt you. And I was hurt too. But I love you guys very much. And I'm, I'm sorry. And I could not say another word. It was the most awkward two seconds. And they sensed that. And they moved towards me and hugged me. So I don't need to say another word. They were kind enough to save me from the embarrassment. And so there were tears. It was an uncomfortable experience, but there was forgiveness. There was restoration. And I was inspired again to serve again. So it's, it's important for us to understand that it's going to be a, an uncomfortable experience. Repentance is not a pleasant experience. And this brings me to our last truth, the third truth. Repentance restores, renews, and inspires. In verse 10, David prays, Create in me a pure, a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, the word create in Hebrew, barach, is the same word used in Genesis. In Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. You know, we, we all can create. I can create a project. You can create your own project, your own, uh, say, story or a unique flower arrangement or, or a meal. You, you too can create, but only God can create the heavens and the earth. Only God can create mankind in His own image. And only God can create in you a pure clean heart. In other words, only God 
can forgive. And He does forgive when we repent. In fact, He is eager to forgive. He is eager to restore. He is eager to renew. He is eager to inspire you and me, you see. Listen, His unfailing covenant love gives you the assurance that He is not going to turn you down or turn you away when we repent. He's not. He can't fail. It's impossible for Him to fail. All other loves, they'll fail. I will fail you. People will fail you. Churches will fail you, but not God. Because it's something only God can do, not fail. What a good and kind God He is. Romans 2, 4 says, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. This means that knowing that God is kind, loving, patient, full of mercy, full of compassion, it makes the invitation to repent safe. Let me say that again. Knowing that God is kind, loving, patient, full of mercy, full of compassion, it makes the invitation to repent safe. It takes away the fear of condemnation. It takes the sting out of repentance. It makes repentance beautiful, in fact. And only the faithful, covenant-loving God can do that. I'm so thankful that God can do this, aren't you? It takes the pressure off of us. I do not need to prove myself with burnt offerings, you know, uh, my good works, our religiosity, our position, our money, our attendance at church, our serve, our good behavior, our uh, your high high grades at school. He doesn't need that. God will not love you more if you serve more or do more good deeds. He'll not love you less if you serve less or do less deeds. He will still fulfill His part of His covenant, His love covenant, you see. He won't fail you. Pastor Andy uh, shared this with me. Thank you, Pastor Andy. Always perfect timing. Um, Pastor and lawyer, Carrie Newhoff, posted this. If there's nothing you can do to lose God's love, then there's nothing more you can do to earn more of it. You can't do more. Or you, you can't even do less for, for God to love you. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, He has forgotten your sins if you repent. How deep, how high, how wide is the love of God. Uh, but a broken and contrite heart is what God desires. Be honest, be honest. Because He already knows. Um, this psalm, Psalm 51, you, you don't see the result of King David's repentance in this psalm. You see the results in Psalm 32. And that's why it's important for you to read Psalm 32 as well. Because in that psalm, happiness is in forgiveness. There's blessing for those who are forgiven. And David rejoices. There's restoration. He rejoices. There's renewed freshness. He rejoices and he sings again. And in fact, in verse 11 of that psalm, Psalm 32, David says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad 
you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in spirit. He starts to uh, influence people to repent and be upright and so that they can sing again. It is in repentance that we are restored, renewed, and inspired to sing again, to serve again, to live again. Yes, restoration requires repentance. And repentance is based on God's unfailing love. Repentance will be uncomfortable. And repentance restores, it renews, and inspires. As we prepare for communion, we're going to apply what we've learned today and focus on repentance and forgiveness and apply the gospel to those areas in our lives where we think God is working. In 1 Corinthians 11:23-28, Scripture says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And I want us to contemplate in these next two verses. 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in the law of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. In other words, if we don't repent, we're still in sin. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In other words, let us not take this lightly. Let us examine ourselves, our personal lives. Perhaps when you have heard this sermon, some sin surfaced, or a guilt feeling, or shame, or even fear or anger. It may be that God is tugging at your heart. But Danny, what if I don't know if I sinned? What if I sinned against someone and that person is nowhere to be found? Even if I wanted to ask for forgiveness or offer forgiveness, I can't. What if I've been hurt and I don't feel like forgiving that person? What if I sin tomorrow, next week? These are great questions. And, I, and honestly, I don't know the answers. But the mere fact that you're asking this question, you're examining yourselves, you see. You're being honest. It's uncomfortable, but you're being honest with God. And you know what? God knows the sin that you forgot about. God knows the person you hurt, where that person is. God knows who hurt you and how much you've been hurt and how difficult it is for you to forgive. God knows you're going to sin tomorrow or next week and hopefully you don't. But God knows. Here's what you do. You come to Jesus, God the Son. You, you trust in Him whose covenant love is unfailing. You come to Him in sincere, honest, broken repentance. And you start there before you come to the Lord's table. Because this bread and this drink, it cannot forgive you. Only God can forgive you. So you don't come to the table. You come to God 
first for forgiveness. Then you come to the table because you are forgiven. Past sin, present sin, future sin, small sin, big sin, many sins, few sins. All forgiven. You come to the table because you are forgiven. And you commemorate your forgiveness. You honor Jesus and praise Him. And remember in His covenant unfailing love for you, He gave up His life on the cross so you do not need to go to the cross. He paid the penalty you cannot pay because the penalty of sin is death. And He took your sin, paid it with His body and blood on the cross. He paid it with His life. And at the same time, there was an exchange, you see. He takes your imperfection, your brokenness, your guilt and shame, your unrighteousness, and exchanged it with His own righteousness, His own perfection. The perfect life that you cannot live, He lived it perfectly, sinlessly. And you know what? He lived it for you and he gives this righteous life to you who will repent this is how you take communion in a worthy manner so we have two stations one at the front one in here in the front one at the back we're going to worship and as the team leads us in song you can take a moment if you'd like to talk with jesus or if you're ready to go ahead and get your bread and drink, and you can go back to your seats, and we'll partake this bread and drink together. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, remember, in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the, the drink together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your unfailing covenant love. Thank you for making repentance safe. Not easy, but safe. Thank you that there is restoration, there's renewal, and an inspired way to live and serve and love others, love others. May you find us faithful to do that. We love you dearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, my family. I love you very much. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you soon. God bless.